Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. Today we're going to look at Proper 16. In Proper 15, we introduced the book of Job, and we will continue with the book of Job today. We are continuing our work in Acts. Remember, we were with Saul and the extraordinary miracle of Saul's salvation, and we'll be continuing with Saul who again is going to be named Paul in chapters 9 and 10 and the beginning of chapter 11. With, we're going to go back to, um, we'll be visiting Peter uh, this week. And then we will continue on in John chapter 6, where we left off last week, and continuing on in chapter 7 and chapter 8. So, very homogeneous. Now, we are in the book of Job in the fourth chapter. And we'll be looking at chapter 4 and chapter 6 and chapter 8 and 9. Now, what you find here is you're looking at your Bible, if you're reading along with me or looking at your Bible as we do this together, you can see that, uh, at least in my Bible, it's laid out in poetry. And what's happening now is his friends are responding to him. Remember his friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. They have met with Job to comfort him. And Job has responded, and they respond. And so what I want you to basically do, again, is read, pray, meditate, listen to the Holy Spirit. If you've got a Bible that has um, study verses um, and study helps and um, some theology or some uh, contextualization that it can give you to help you understand what they mean, please use that. All right? You might have that. Many of us don't have that kind of commentary work or kind of study notes, so we're just reading it and we're trying to listen to what the Holy Spirit says to us. So Eliphaz is speaking in chapter 4, and he's speaking in chapter 5, and then Job is going to respond in chapter 6. Now, I'm not going to read it to you. I'm just going to point out a couple of verses here and there. But again, enjoy the reading. Chapter 4, verse 17, can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? The obvious answer, rhetorical answer is no, cannot be. Can a mortal be more righteous than God? No. Can a man be more pure than his maker? And so he says in verse 18, if God placed no trust in his servants, if he charges his angels with error, how much more those who live in houses of clay, whose foundations are in the dust, who are crushed more readily than a moth. How can we tell God what to do? We can't tell God what to do. Are we more righteous than him? Are we more pure than him? Good philosophical question. Chapter 4, 1, and then 5, 1 through 11, 17 to 21, and 20, uh, 26 and 27. So he again continues this uh, conversation and sharing what he believes God is saying to him in terms of responding to Job, who's in this very, very uh, difficult position. For example, in verse 8 of chapter 5, but if it were I, I would appeal to God, I would lay my cause before him. So he's giving him advice. What would you do? And then he says, this is who God is. Verse 17, blesses the man whom God corrects. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. He might be disciplining you, Job. You might have done something wrong. Job replies in chapter 6, 
Verse 2, if only my anguish could be weighed and all the, my misery be placed on the scales, it would outweigh the sand of the seas. No wonder my words have been impetuous. You guys have no idea what I'm dealing with. This is extraordinary suffering. The arrows of the Almighty are in me. Isn't that beautiful language? My spirit drinks in their poison. Beautiful poetry. God's terrors are marshaled against me. He's coming against me. Why is he doing it? I don't know why he's doing this. And as you, we work through this together over the next several weeks, we're going to find that Job's going to want answers. God, why are you doing this to me? Do I have the strength of stone, verse 12? Is my flesh bronze? Do I have power to help myself? Now that the success is driven, I mean, I can't help myself out of this. I need God's help, and he's working against me. So what do you do philosophically if your life is not going well, you're trying to do the right thing, you don't have enough energy to do the right thing, and you feel that God's actually working against you? It's amazing the number of people I tell, go read the book of Job. Go read the book of Job. Chapter 7 is also listed here, 6-1 and chapter 7. Does not man, verse 1, have hard service on the earth? Are not his days like those of a hired man? He said, my life, verse 7, is but a breath. My eyes will never see happiness again. I'm not going to live very long, and I'm not doing very well right now. I'm not even going to see happiness again. The eye that now sees me will see me no longer. You will look for me, but I will be no more. As a cloud vanishes, verse 9, and is gone. So he who goes down to the grave does not return. He, never, he will never come to his house again. His place will know him no more. Verse 17. What is man that you think so much of him, that you give him so much attention, that you examine him every morning and test him every moment? Verse 19. Will you never look away from me or even alone for an instant? If I have sinned, what have I done for you? What have I done to you? What have I done to you? Why have you made me your target? Verse 20. See the honesty of Job? It's beautiful, honest, strong, raw. Have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my offenses and forgive my sins? I soon will lie down in the dust, for you will search for me and I will be no more. Not going to live very long. This is horrible. Why won't you forgive me? Why won't you help me? Then chapter 8, Bildad speaks and he is... And Job responds in chapter 9, as you'll see. Does God pervert justice, he says in verse 3? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? When your children sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. Verse 9, for we were born only yesterday and know nothing. For our days on earth are like a shadow. We don't have any right to, to argue against God. He's the one that's Almighty. He's the one that's created the universe. He's the one that knows right from wrong. Such is the destiny of all who forget God, so perishes the hope of the godless. I wonder what you did, Job, to deserve this wrath against the Lord. That's another question. God, did I do something? Why are you not helping me? Are you mad at me? Have I done something wrong? Lots of people feel that way. Perhaps someone in this audience. I prayed. I'm trying to do the right thing. It sounds like you're against me. You're working against me. Then Job comes in in chapter 9 and chapter 10. I know that this is true. How can a mortal be righteous before God? He said his wisdom, God's wisdom is profound. His power is vast. Who has resisted him come out unscathed? I I can't do that. He stretches out the heavens. He performs wonders that can't be fathomed. Who could say to him, verse 12, what are you doing? Verse 25, my days are swifter than a runner. They fly away without a glimpse of hope. Chapter 10, Verse 1, I loathe my very life. 
Therefore, I will give free reign to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. Verse 8, your hands shaped me and made me. So we are made in the image and likeness of God and he is our creator. Your hands shaped me and made me. Remember that you molded me like clay. Will you now turn me to dust again? Basically, God could do whatever he wants to do. He's the one that's made us. Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? Verse 10, verse 11. Clothe me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. Who's the one that created you? Who's the one that made you? God's the one that did that. You gave me life. You showed me kindness. And your providence, you watched over my spirit. But this is what you concealed in your heart. And I know this was in your mind. If I sinned, you would be watching me and would not let my offense go unpunished, verse 14. If I'm guilty, woe to me. If I'm innocent, I can't lift my head. So Paul, uh, Job is dealing with all these philosophical issues that resolve around, revolve around, I should say, and hopefully he, want, he wants a resolution, revolve around the idea of, Okay, I know all, all that you are. I know how great you are. I know I'm made in your image and likeness. I know you've created me, but why is this happening to me? And when I cry out, you're not answering me. So what am I to do? And then this argument goes on for 37 chapters until we get to the 38th chapter where God finally speaks. Why did you bring me out of the womb? I wish I had died before your eyes saw me. Why did you make me? If I have to go through all this, it's not worth it. I hate to leave you at that point, but that's where we are in Job chapter 9 and chapter 10. All right, enjoy. Acts chapter 9, where we left off with the miraculous salvation of Paul, who was called Saul. He's in Damascus and Jerusalem. He's beginning his ministry, chapter 9, 32 through 43. Then we have a healing Aeneas and Dorcas. This is now back to Peter. Remember Peter does a, Peter and John do a healing of the crippled man in chapter 3 of Acts. We come back to them in chapter 9, verse 32. The healing. We have another healing. And then we have a person that died, Tabitha. And at the end of chapter 9, um, she gets up. So God's miracles continue. God's miracles continue. Acts chapter 10, Cornelius and the vision of Peter. And then Peter goes to Cornelius's house. And what happens here in chapter 10 is this is the beginning of the coming of the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles. Now, this had only been done to the Jews so far. But now we have this miracle of Cornelius who in verse 1, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and his family were devoted and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. And God spoke to him and said, an angel was sent. Cornelius, what is it, Lord? Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a remembrance before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And so what's going to happen is Simon, Peter, is going to be called to minister to Cornelius. This is a great miracle of God because the angel has to intervene and make all this happen. And then we have this incredible vision that Peter has from God that he can scarcely believe. 
but God is calling Peter to think in a new way. So what you have in chapter 9 and 10 is a dramatic change of two of the greatest people in the history of the Christian faith, Paul and Peter. Peter, the key disciple with Christ who denied him three times, and Paul, someone that, who felt he was righteous before God, but was having tremendous, tremendous pain and suffering and maybe even death inflicted upon the Christians because he thought that Christ was a blasphemer and was not certainly not the Messiah. But God miraculously moved Peter and Paul into play so that the two of them would be tremendous, tremendous witnesses for Christ uh, in the book of Acts. Peter goes to Cornelius's house, and they are very impressed with him. And he says, uh, Cornelius says in verse 30, four days ago I was in your house praying at this hour, three in the afternoon, a man in shining clothes stood before me. Cornelius, God has heard your prayer, remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And so he spoke. You got something to tell us. All right. So beginning in verse 34, I read that and you'll see he talks about what God had done in Christ. And we are witnesses. You killed him by hanging him on a tree. Verse 39, God raised him from the dead. Verse 40, verse 43, all the prophets testify about him. And he said, the gift of the Spirit has been poured out because they began to speak in tongues and they began to hear the witness of the gospel and receive it. And the miracle of the Holy Spirit falling on them, remember, Acts chapter 2, and now falling on Cornelius' house was very, very similar. And so that's why Peter says in verse 47, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with him for a few days. So God in chapter 9 is using Paul. We see the death of Stephen, one of the original deacons, chapter 6, chapter 7. He has this wonderful uh, sharing, recapitulation, as I said last week, of the Old Testament and what God had done. Now we have Peter gets on board by ministering to the Gentiles, probably thought only Jews could be saved or you had to be like a Jewish person to be saved. And Jesus has this vision that he can scarcely believe and God changes the way he thinks. So look for ways that God works powerfully in your life and miraculously in your life in order to make his presence known to you. Finally, in chapter uh, 11 of Acts, we see that Paul, uh, Peter is now explaining what happened in Joppa. And he says, as I began to speak in verse 15, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning, chapter 2. Then I remember what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? So the same gift came. Now, Peter is going to be used by God to sh share the gift with others, Gentiles particularly. Paul is going to start out by ministering to uh, Jewish people, and eventually you'll see later on that we, he is going to then have a, a ministry to the Gentiles also. So the Gentiles 
have been granted repentance unto life. Verse 18. God is moving in the book of Acts. John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, we have the ending of this extraordinary chapter regarding Jesus as the bread of life. And we have unbelief on many because it is such a strong teaching. The Spirit gives life, verse 63. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to your spirit in life. Jesus' teaching in this, as you are reading this, is hard, as you'll see in the scriptures. But the disciples do not leave them. Peter says, who we just spoke about, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. So it's a hard teaching because Jesus is offering himself as the body of Christ, the blood of Christ. Uh, and that was a little bit too hard for some of them. Uh, and some folks walked away. Jesus asked if they would walk away, and he says no. In chapter 7 of John, we have uh, more teaching with Jesus, more tete-a-tete with the people in the temple courts, more conversation with the Jewish people, more teaching uh, on Jesus' part. Um, I love verse 37, if a person is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Remember in chapter 6, he was talking about eating. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, streams of living water will flow within him. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. So read carefully through the book of uh, John chapter 7. He has some beautiful, beautiful scriptures And we have unbelief uh, at the end of chapter 7 with the leaders. Uh, They just do not believe in him. Now, here is the creator of the universe. Here's the Messiah speaking, and the people are not believing. So Jesus could be literally speaking directly to you, and you, you and I not believe. So it is a beautiful thing when we do believe, when the revelation comes our way, when the Spirit, by God's grace and mercy, come to us, and we believe what is being said by Jesus. We finish off. This week in chapter 8, 12 to 20, again, another tete-a-tete. Chapter 8, 12 is a famous verse. I am the light of the world, Jesus says. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but have the light of life. So uh, we'll see in chapter 10 about the, uh, Jesus being the good shepherd. The sheep follow him. In chapter 8, the people that love Jesus follow him. They Because they follow him, they are in the light. If they do not follow him, they are in darkness. And then he says to the leader, um, you do not know me or my father, verse 20. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. So we close with that amazing second half of that verse. His time had not yet come. He was in total charge of this whole situation in terms of his death and his resurrection and his, his, de- his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and finally his ascension to the right hand of the Father, that they could have seized him. They could have easily killed him at the beginning. It was not his time. God prevented that from happening. But when it was his time, he allowed those events to take place. So in the book of Acts, there's lots of teaching about who Jesus is that Peter and Paul are going to give us. In the book of John, there's a tremendous amount of teaching in a different way from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and they're going back and forth in terms of what is true. 
Meanwhile, our friend Job struggles with the suffering that he's having and struggling to figure out, God, what are you doing to me and why are you doing it? So really an upside down uh, transformational way that God is going to use this event to really speak to Job on a deep level. Well, that's a lot to think about this week and I hope you enjoy your week of reading and study and prayer. May God bless you and we'll see you next week. The chapters in Job, the chapters in Acts, and the chapters in John. God bless you.